Hello and welcome to another episode of The Philosophy Guy. So today's episode is part two of the psychedelics in the mind. And so I want to add this clarifier before I dive into the topic today is you actually don't need to have listened to the first part for this one. It's just very much a similar topic, just covering more material around it. But I wouldn't consider the previous episode's material or or understanding of that material as necessary for understanding um, this one. I, I basically, especially with this part, I, I've kept in mind, I wasn't trying to like create this cohesive argument or present this argument like a full argument necessarily. It's more so one of those episodes where my intention is to raise questions about it, maybe raise questions about the potentials of understanding the mind and psychedelics and psychedelics role in understanding the mind um, and kind of just how we see the world and kind of, you know, <laughs> like my big thing with the podcast is understanding how to remain curious, also how to doubt things and be open-minded. So maybe if psychedelics have a role in that and how our understanding of the mind can also tap into that where you don't necessarily need psychedelics. So that, that's the point as well. Cause I don't, I'm not telling people to use psychedelics. I'm not promoting the use of psychedelics. This stuff is illegal in most places. Um, it's just, it's interesting. Some of the research coming out about it and my fascination with the mind. So it's inevitable that I end up talking about this occasionally as well. So I just want to add that clarifier because like I said, you should never listen to my advice and fully take my advice because I am someone that's trying to figure stuff out as well. Just like I know people that listen to this show are also trying to do. So what I always ask people to do, my listeners to do is you should go and see what you think about this stuff. Go out and get other outside resources and information. Um, come back to me try to say where I'm wrong because I'm trying to learn and trying to better understand and try to understand where I fuck up. Because my big passion as well is is wording things, trying to find ways to explain things, trying to find ways to get people to to question their beliefs. And that's kind of my life passion, essentially. That's why I do this podcast is to get people to question their beliefs in a healthy way so they can live more peaceful lives and more curious lives and be more at peace with kind of the human condition. Um, and I think doing that, and a big part of doing that is pursuing knowledge by various means and various experiences and various understandings and and uh, yeah, so that's a little spiel on that. But enough of my rambling. If you want to help support the show, check out the Patreon page. I'm going to be dropping a new bonus episode very soon. I have one prepared, um, and that'll be only on the bonus episode feed. So if you want more access to my ramblings and words, check that out. Um, yeah, you can also just share this with your friends. Check out TikTok. Use the links below. Join in chats in the Discord. Um, all that fun stuff. I think that covers it. But enough of, like I said, enough of my blabbering. Let's get into the, the fun, juicy stuff. And let's enter the labyrinth. So if I asked you to imagine, imagine right now what it's like to be an octopus, 
Do you think you can do it? Do you think you can learn about an octopus? So what we know, like what we know about the conscious experience, how it operates, how it how it tries to make sense of the world, can you then imagine what it's like to be an octopus? Simple as that. Even if you let's say let's say you look at a brain scan, what are you really observing? Even a brain scan of the octopus, you observing you're observing the the material experience. You were assuming that material experience, but you don't really know what it is to be the octopus. You know, well, well, this is where we run into the hard problem of consciousness, first argued by philosopher David Chalmers, where the hard problem of consciousness is the problem of explaining why any physical state is conscious rather than non-conscious. It is the problem of explaining why there is something it is like for a subject in conscious experience, why consciousness or conscious mental states light up directly you know, and, and appear to the subject. Why, why does that thing happen? Things moving, space and time don't necessarily correlate to a full understanding of consciousness. You know, it, it's, it's likely not, not certain, not certainly I suppose, that something about experience transcends our neurology. We have to at least be open to that idea. You know, you can know everything about the octopus, all the material side. You can know the two-thirds of their brain functioning is in their arms. Yet you will never have the experience of being an octopus from that. There's wisdom, as I like to say, in knowing that. And a way that, that I personally understand it is, it's like saying you can have all the knowledge in the world about something, but there's wisdom in experiencing something. Wisdom in being an octopus that we cannot even, we can't even fathom. And a poss- and, and possibly I want to raise, uh, raise this point is, is wondering if the psychedelic experience is actually going beyond the physical and into the realm of the metaphysical for the human experience, into a state of, ex- of, of experience and creativity. I'm not even stating that that state of mind is something more true, more so just different. It's completely altering your understanding of your experience and the understanding of your own consciousness. Going into possibly more unfiltered forms of consciousness. Okay, so, so let's acknowledge, let's, let's just acknowledge a psychedelic experience. Can be, let's like acknowledge it as, can, it, can be one based on your past experiences. But they form in this sort of subjective realm of creation in your mind, in your mind, and your, your mind sometimes like creates this physical form of that subjective realm. So you're creating a reality within your subconscious. So like I said, I'm not saying that space is more real. I want to keep reiterating that. I'm saying the space is different and it's something to contemplate and might hold significance with understanding the cosmos, understanding our mind, and maybe also just like finding peace. All those things, all sorts of good stuff <laughs> to at least examine. As in, what is it? And maybe we should consider doing some more research on why people share any similar experiences when they enter that space. So let's, let's, let's take the behaviorist viewpoint, which I mentioned in the last episode, viewpoint in psychology. Um, they say it's, it's the observable behavior in the physical world that truly matters. Okay. But think about the most vivid dream you've ever had. One that you still think about sometimes. I think most of us have one. I have one. I have one where 
I like fucking got attacked by a squirrel when I was a kid. And I still, to this day, I look at, after that vivid dream of being attacked by a squirrel that became almost human-like with a knife in its hand and attacked me. I still sometimes will see a squirrel and that dream will pop back up into my mind. That vivid dream, which I know is just a creation of my subconscious that was a silly little thing, it still plays a role. So I guess my point is, do you think your inner working of your mind that produced that vivid dream, do you think that did anything to alter your ideas, perception, and beliefs on life? I still wonder if it did for me. Even that's such a silly story, such a silly dream like mine. Do you think there's a reason you had that dream that was that was telling about the inner workings of your mind? Okay, now, from that, take the psychedelic experience. People come away believing they experienced something more real than they've ever experienced. Again, not saying this is what is actually happening, but stick with me. How do we explain the journey one can take when they close their eyes? The things they can see, the vivid imagery, maybe some thinking they, they are talking to God or elves or even aliens. I think it's showing us about maybe something about consciousness, but at the very least it's saying something about this, your subjective subconscious experience, the workings of your subconscious as in it's showing you the workings of your mind that occurs during your everyday, kind of like your default brain. And that fascinates me. And what I mean by that is it's showing you, you know, that when you get access to the subconscious, what if that subconscious, those, those things operating in your subconscious, those weird operations, they're operating even when you're not aware of them. That's the point of it being subconscious. And I know I mentioned this in, in a previous episode. It's not lost on me that those subjective experiences happen too often match up with what that person is surrounded with culturally, with the information they've consumed, the beliefs they have. However, we can see just how much understanding that experience, being aware of that experience, understanding the power of your subconscious, tapping into your subconscious, addressing what is happening within your subconscious. If we can better understand this, we can better understand the actions we take on instinct and then help alter our instinct help alter our reasoning, help alter our belief systems that make us look at the world in a certain way. Our judgments, feelings about beliefs, our ability to reason, why we get frustrated so quickly, why we hate our job, why do we feel so disconnected in our life, all that stuff. The list goes on and on and on and on. Access to your subconscious, addressing your subconscious is what helps you address those things fully, more fully. Maybe not, you can never fully address it maybe, but more fully. Psychedelics become an induced spiritual experience. And I think religions can cause the same thing for people. In a <laughs> clarifier, in a different sense. You know, I'll also say I consider organized religions much more abusive in this regard of the spiritual experience, or they're an abusive form of spirituality. As I do believe organized religions are essentially manipulating people into following the subjective spiritual experience of their perceived prophet. So you have the followers of that religion essentially falling in line with another individual's subjective spiritual experience and taking another person's experience and proclaiming it's the objective absolute truth of the world. Take Jesus Christ, for example. Christianity. When it comes down to it, Christians are essentially following a partial explanation of the subjective spiritual experience that Jesus Christ had. They're propping up his truth his perception of truth and proclaiming it as their own. But they have no way to verify it. They have no way of truly knowing it 
Only Jesus Christ does. So people's spiritual experience then affects how they see the world. And that and that's the fascinating part. But also can we can we make them feel more at home, more at peace, and better understand the workings of their mind in that process, which is why I still I'm still an outspoken against organized religions is because I think it doesn't tap into that the benefit beneficial parts enough. I guess my point of saying all this is is I desire to create more openness around understanding the mind and openness in understanding the workings of our subconscious mind, the spiritual experience, and methods that can help bring us peace, help us understand ourselves, and remain curious to the cosmos around us. Okay, but but allow us to move one step beyond the spiritual, spiritual connectedness distinction. How can this self-awareness about our mind, maybe even the spiritual experience, especially the psychedelic experience, how can that insert the state of curiosity into our lives? Or maybe better put, for the sake of this episode, could it provide us some wisdom about our limitations of knowing while also demonstrating where we may be assuming a bit much in our default reality? So that's some of this, this stuff in about, this, about um, to say is agreed upon, that what I'm about to say is agreed upon in physics and, and the scientific literature. But the whole another aspect of experience, essentially, or to experience these understandings that are now found in scientific literature and physics, and the way your mind can bend and how you understand time and the experience around that. I'm not, so I want to add another clarifier here because I always feel the need to say this. I'm not advocating for the use of psychedelics. I'm just adding that right now. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting when we kind of have these different states and they change our perception of our default state. It's just interesting seeing some of the research come out about psychedelics relation to time, for example. So, for example, other forms of other life forms may have different perceptions of time from our own, which would mean their duration of memory would be different from our own. Thus, their perceptions of reality would be far different from ours. So an article in in the Scientific American summed this up beautifully. Time perception depends on how rapidly an animal's nervous system processes sensory information. To test this ability, researchers show animals a rapidly flashing light. If the light flashes quickly enough, animals and humans perceive it as a solid, unblinking light. The animal's behavior or its brain activity, as measured by electrodes, reveals the highest frequency at which each species perceives the light as flashing. Animals that can detect the blinking at a higher frequencies are perceiving time at a finer resolution. In other words, movements and events will appear to unfold more slowly to them. Think slow motion, bullet dodging in an action movie. That quote shows you how much a conscious experience could change just based on sensory input. So imagine how this would alter the perception of life, your perception of life, if you were thinking this completely different conscious state. And my point about psychedelics in this episode is I think we might witness a similar phenomenon on psychedelics. Time kind of slows down. You are getting all this new sensory input. You perceive things happening at the same time, essentially, from moment to moment. Or not the same. That's a bad way to put it. So we are still human, yet you always seem to think 
way more time has passed than what has actually passed in reality. Your perception of time, my point is, is, is often very much altered. And my point of saying this is animals have a different experience of consciousness and we can alter our experience of consciousness. So I wonder what is actually being altered. What is the thing being altered? Is it just your brain? What role does your brain in changing that? You know, so the philosopher uh, Harry Bergenson, Bergson argued that we are simply channeling the mind with our brains. We are channeling the conscious experience, which would also explain the mind-brain correlation in brain scans. So this idea would make the brain necessary, still necessary, still an essential part of the conscious experience, but not sufficient for our perception of human consciousness. So to help connect us, I think the ideas of panpsychism, for example, would connect well with this. And I was thinking about this. Our physical bodies very much desire survival, to reproduce, those type of things. That's why we have a version of consciousness that is optimized for that process, survival. Okay, so now that form of consciousness is connected with our will to survive. But psychedelics seem to inhibit that survival. Not in a dark sense where one becomes like <laughs> suicidal. But we seem to enter this sort of creative space. As though we're, we're less worried about, you know, food and paying our bills and all this stuff. Our regular life stuff, quote unquote. But we enter this creative space as though if you agree with my point of our brains being a sort of system that is deciphering consciousness, our physical bodies seem to be holding back on its inhibition of consciousness. So when you are in the psychedelic experience, you are much less focused on survival, as though we are accessing a reality that is often denied to us with a purpose. It's denied to us because if we were constantly accessing that state, we would have difficulty keeping our little magical meat suits alive. So we could become fascinated by the many things around us in that psychedelic state, but in our default survival state, we have to focus ourselves much more to pay mind to those things that we are fascinated by in the psychedelic experience because we're just focused on other things. The conscious experience is just different. Not better, not worse, just different. And both have their purpose. Or I think at least this is my opinion. The psychedelic experience is evidence of showing how it can be useful for understanding yourself, finding peace, finding compassion, and connecting with others. I think the profound altering of our understanding of perception plays a role in doing that. You enter a much more feeling state. Now, we can also see the dangers if our brains are allowed to constantly be in that psychedelic state. Our will to survive would be overwhelmingly hindered. Both forms of consciousness have a purpose. I want to keep reiterating that. Because why are we here on this planet? Just to survive and reproduce. That's what our meat suits want to do. Or should we also desire understanding ourselves, the workings of our mind, consciousness, finding peace, connecting with others, building relationships, having experiences, the vast amount of other ideas on what life is about. But where do those ideas for understanding our meaning of life come from? Do they come simply from our will to survive? Or do they come from a more creative space of thinking? Could they come from when, when our kind of survival mechanisms are in order? We can start exploring that stuff a little bit more. They come when we have the ability to explore. And again, I'm not saying the psychedelic experience is necessary for that. It's just a really easy example for trying to explain what I'm trying to say. 
And I'm definitely not one to to ever say that. Where everyone everyone should do psychedelics. Never, I'm never going to be one to say that. But we can should consider what people have to say when they come away feeling more connected to their sense of being after a psychedelic experience. They become more connected to their sense of living after coming back from a creative space. And we can then analyze how coming back from this space, entering our survival form of consciousness after that fact, can help us live life more evolved and stay curious. And that's what all I want my listeners to do, my friends. I'm trying to do this, and I want you to join me in trying to do this. Stay curious, stay a little bit skeptical, and fucking just enjoy life. But as always, thank you for listening. And now is the time for you to get the fuck out of my labyrinth. <laughs>